Hey everybody, we'd like to welcome you to the Ewok Podcast. We hope your day's going good. This is the official podcast of the East Wilton Union Church located in Wilton, Maine. And today we're going to hear a message from Robbie Locke, our senior pastor. We hope that it's a blessing to your life and that God uses it to help you walk closer with him. And our prayer is that you would grow closer to him in truth and in love. Well, without further ado, here's Pastor Robbie. Turn in your Bibles with me again this morning to 1 John and chapter 4. 1 John and chapter 4. As John has written this epistle, up until this point, he's been mainly concerned about three major subjects, subjects that he has mentioned and then repeated several times. He's emphasized the absolute necessity of God's people to first of all walk in righteousness. That if we profess to know the Lord, that our lives need to measure up to the profession that we have made. And so if we're saved, we ought to live like saved people. People ought to be able to see Christ in us. So live in righteousness. The second thing, he has taught us that as God's people, we need to keep the commandments of the Lord. And he's emphasized the commandments to love God and to love one another as Christ has loved us. And so John says, not only walk righteously, but love God and love one another within the body of Christ. He also said that we need to make sure that we are making a priority of our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Yes, we're to love them, but we are to serve them. We are to minister to them even as they are to minister to us. And so these are three truths that he's emphasized. The fourth truth he's emphasized, he's mentioned once, now in greater detail, is the subject of false teachers and the warning of God's people against those who would come into their midst and teach them doctrine that is not according to the truth given by Jesus to the apostles in the beginning and that was from the apostles communicated to those first believers in Jerusalem and then since that time down through the ages of the church even until this day. There are those who will get up and will teach false doctrine and we need to have discerning ears, the ability to hear the truth and to know when what is being said is true or when what is being said is false. Here's the thing. We know the Bible is true. Amen? We can stand on the foundation of the word of God, God knowing that it is inerrant that it is inspired of God and it is absolutely authoritative. But when people get up to preach the word, their preaching is not inspired like the scriptures they preach. This morning, I will seek with God's help by the Spirit to teach you the truth that is found in this passage of scripture. But being a human being, it's possible for me to be wrong in a particular area. And you need to be aware of that. That's why just because a pastor preaches something doesn't make it so. What he preaches must line up with the truth of Scripture. And when you're listening, 
You need to listen with discernment. That is kind of listen to what's happening, kind of chew that over and say, how does what the pastor is saying right now compare to what the Bible actually says? Now, those two things should be in agreement, right? What the pastor is preaching and what the word says should be in agreement. But if you have spent any time watching TBN on TV, one of those Christian Christian channels, and you've listened to the preachers that they have on there, they have some great preachers. They really do. They have some wonderful men of God who love the word and stand on the word. And then they've got a bunch of preachers who, quite frankly, teach really wild, crazy stuff and say it all comes from the Bible. When you're listening to preachers, you've got to listen to what they say, but you must ask yourself, is what this preacher is saying right now in accordance with what the Bible says? Because the Bible is the only source of absolute truth. Now that's the basic idea of this passage, but he has several things to say over the course of these six verses. I want to start this morning with kind of an introduction to the passage and then we'll move just a little bit into verse 1 and then Lord willing, next Sunday, if Jesus tarries, we will pick up and finish the rest of the passage next week. But when I was finishing verse 6 in my preparations and I saw 14, 13, 14 pages of notes, I thought, okay, two sermons at least, so here we go. Aren't, Aren't I good to you people and not make you sit here for 13 or 14 pages of notes? All right. The first thing I want to do is pray because when we are going to minister the word, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. So pray for me as I'm praying and may God use his word in our hearts today. Let's pray. Father, I come to you because I need you. I need your help as your servant, as one that you have called to be a pastor, to be one who leads the flock of God through teaching and preaching the word of God. And this morning as I do, Lord, I need your help. I I need you to guide my thoughts and guide my words. And Lord, I have often prayed and said that if there's anything that I say that is not according to your truth, I pray that you will wipe it away from the minds of your people and it may it be forgotten forever. But everything that I say that is in accordance with your word, may it be written not only on our minds, but written in our hearts so that ultimately it might result, Lord, in a change in the way in which we live our lives day by day. Bless your word to our hearts, Father. We'll be careful to praise you for Jesus' sake. Amen. The Old and the New Testaments are filled with warnings about false teachers. Now, when God mentions something over and over and over and over again in the Bible, he has a reason for doing so. And it's because either it is something that is greatly needed by the people of God or it's a warning to help protect the people of God. And in this case, it's a warning. We're in 1 John, but I want you to turn back with me to the Old Testament, to the book of Deuteronomy. And I want you to look with me at chapter 13, please. Deuteronomy chapter 13. And I want to read for you verses 1 through 3. Deuteronomy chapter 13. Verses 1 through 3. If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and let me just stop and say, in the Old Testament, many times God spoke either directly to one of his prophets or sometimes he spoke to them through dreams. So being a dreamer of dreams is not a bad thing necessarily. It can be that that was the method God used to communicate his truth. 
So he says, if there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes to pass of which he spoke to you saying, let us go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. Now this is a very significant passage in the Old Testament because God's primary method at that time of communicating to his people were through prophets like Elisha, like Elijah, like Jeremiah, like Isaiah, and many others in the Old Testament. However, even though there were prophets of the Lord, there were also false prophets who said they were from the Lord and that their message was from God, but in fact, they were false teachers. Notice here that they not only come and say, I had a dream, it says in verse 2 that they have the ability to do signs and wonders. And he's talking about false teachers here. They do a sign and a wonder. Well, you do a sign and a wonder, that's going to get people's attention. But he says, then you need to listen to their words. It's not enough to say, oh, look what he just did. Listen to his words because he said, here's his message. He says, let us go after other gods. Now, folks, if I got up this morning and preached and said, we've decided at our church to, we're not going to follow Jesus anymore. We're going to start following Baal. How many of you would find that a strange thing to hear in our church this morning? If you don't think that's strange, folks, we've got to talk to you after service, okay? Obviously, can you imagine a prophet getting up and saying, we're not going to follow Jehovah anymore? We're going to go after false gods. Let us go and serve them. Well, as, as Moses is writing here, he says, when you hear someone present a message that doesn't line up with what God has already said and what had God already say, back in Deuteronomy chapter 5, where the Ten Commandments appear, he says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. So you have to take what the prophet says, compare it to what God has said, and then only believe it if the two match up. So that's what he's saying here. He said, you shall not listen to them. Why? God is testing you because he wants to know, number one, do you know my word? Do you know my word? And if you know my word, are you prepared to obey my word? So he's going to test you and allow false teachers at times to come into the midst and then he's going to watch and see what you do. He wants to see if you love him, it says. Verse 4, if you will walk after the Lord, if you will fear the Lord, if you will keep his commandments, and then what? Obey his voice. In other words, always obey the word of God. Anytime anyone teaches something contrary to what the Bible says, it is false doctrine, and the source of that false doctrine is the devil, not the Lord. So there's the Old Testament. In the New Testament, let me just give you one example. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15, Jesus said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. What is he saying there? He said, some people that come as preachers, they look like the real thing. 
They dress up in sheep's clothing. However, inwardly, what are they? They're ravenous wolves. What does a ravenous wolf do to the sheep? It attacks them, tries to kill them and destroy them. False teachers are out to destroy the church of the living God. Thank God God's church is greater because Jesus said that he would establish his church and the gates of hell itself would not prevail against the church. He will always have two true prophets, true preachers and teachers of the word of God. But we must be careful who we listen to. I'll talk more about that a little bit later in the message, actually in next week's message. So the scriptures are filled with warnings about false teachers. The scriptures are also filled with warnings about counterfeit doctrines. Go with me to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. We're going to look up a few of these others I'm just going to read for you. But in Acts chapter 20, verses 29 and 30. Acts chapter 20, verses 29 and 30. Now, I'm going to back up and read verse 28 because this is an instruction to the leaders of the church, to the elders who are to teach God's people his word. It says in verse 28, Acts 20, 28, Therefore take heed to yourselves, he's talking to the preachers, the pastors, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So he's saying, true pastors, true elders, you need to feed the flock of God. What do you feed them with? Well, you feed them with the word of God. Pastors, elders, are to lead the church with the scriptures. Not with their own ideas, not with their own plans, but with what God reveals in the holy scriptures. Now notice verse 29. He says, for this I know that after my departure, now in this case, Paul is speaking, and he says, after I'm gone, he said, this is going to happen. After my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Now, when he says they will come in among you, it suggests they're coming in from outside. In other words, there are false teachers on the outside who will try to worm their way into the church and begin to teach false doctrine. So they're on the outside, trying to get inside. Then he goes on to say this. He says, also, from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. He says, some people who become false teachers are a part of the church. In other words, they're already in the church, but by raising themselves up to teach false doctrine, demonstrate they're not actually true believers, but have been in there professing to be saved when in fact they are not. I think a good example of this would be someone I'm sure you've heard of years ago called Jim Jones. Jim Jones was a part of an evangelical church most of his life. In fact, the vast majority of his followers were people that came out of evangelical churches. And when he first started preaching, it was a whole lot different than what he eventually was preaching. When he started, he literally was preaching the gospel. They were doing ministries to try to reach out to lost people and so on. But after a period of time, he began to turn in what he taught them. And he began to teach, in effect, 
that he was the one who was the final authority and he introduced immorality and all kinds of things into this cult which he formed. And as you know, over 900 of them, along with him down, I think it was in Guyana, uh, in South America, they had a mass suicide when they went in to try to help people get out that were wanting to get out. It was a terrible thing. But you know what? He started inside. But over time, he demonstrated he was not a true believer because he began teaching what he really believed and turning people away from the faith, turning them away from the Lord. I personally believe that probably some of his followers were true believers who were deceived and became a part of this. And once they were in, it was very difficult for them to get out. Only God knows hearts. But I think some of the people that went in were saved. And if they went in saved, they went out saved because you can't lose your salvation. But how sad it is when a believer who's been firm in doctrine gets to a place where they're wishy-washy or literally go so far out to the extreme into false doctrine that you can't even hardly identify anymore the Christian faith. That's the kind of thing that he says can potentially happen in these churches. And in fact, when you think about the letters to the churches from Jesus in the book of Revelation, in almost every case... Jesus points to false teachers that were a part of those true Christian churches at the time. And for some of them, they were standing against that error. Some of them were encouraged to stand against the error because false teachers will work their way in from the outside or they will rise up from the inside and God's people need to be aware and prepared. All right, so there are warnings in the New and Old Testament concerning counterfeit doctrines. Now, Satan's basic strategy for attacking the truth became evident in the Garden of Eden. And I want us to go back to Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to spend a few minutes here now. Now, I know that this is a very familiar passage, but there are three key strategies that the devil uses to confuse and to deceive people. And we need to recognize this methodology of the enemy so that we will be prepared against it. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. I'm going to read the passage, then go back through and point out three major truths. Number one, uh, see it here in verse 1 of chapter 3 of Genesis. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And as you know, in verse 6, she looks, she sees that it's good for food, she desires it, she sees or believes it can make her wise, so she goes ahead and eats. Adam has been sitting here watching this the whole time, has not opened his mouth like he should have to warn her, to protect her. She eats, she gives it to him, and he, knowing what he's doing, he disobeys God and he eats, and that's the fall of man. I want you to back up now and find out why this happened. Verse 1. And he said to the woman, the last phrase, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of the tree of the garden? What is the first thing that the devil wants to do to get you to believe error? 
the first thing that he wants to do is to cause you to doubt. He wants to cause you to doubt. Now the phrase he says, yea, hath God said? Did he really say you couldn't eat from the trees of the garden? Did he really say that to you? What he wants us to do, folks, is to take the truth we've heard, that we've learned, that we know that is true, and in a given circumstance in our life, for a moment, cause us to pause and say, well, I wonder if that's really true. I wonder if that's really true. You get in the midst of this terrible difficulty in your life, and you say, is God really going to get me through this? Am I really going to get through? And I may not be so bold as to express it in those words, but in my heart, I'm wondering if God will come. I mean, have you ever been there? Now, has God promised to meet our needs? Has he or not? Has he promised to never leave us nor forsake us? Has he promised to provide everything we need for, for godliness and, and for, for our spiritual growth? He's promised all that. Brethren, if you have a doubt in your mind about what God has said, know where it's coming from. It is the devil who is saying, Yea, hath God said that really? Is that really true? So, when you entertain doubt, that leads to the next problem. Notice at the end of verse 4. Now, after she says, and by the way, here's a little point that's important as well. She says, well, no, we can eat of all the trees except for one. But I want you to know what she did that was wrong. She says, we can't eat it. We also can't what? Touch it. Now, did God say you couldn't touch it? Did he? No, he didn't say that. When he spoke to the man in chapter 2, he said, don't eat. Because on the day you eat, you'll die. He never said you can't touch it. And I'm not saying there was a reason to touch it, but he didn't say you couldn't. You know what she's doing? And sometimes we do this in our own way of thinking. We take things we believe and we add them to the word of God. That's a dangerous position to put yourself in too. You make yourself vulnerable when you do that. I mean, after all, we know that the Bible says uh, that God helps those who, te- who, who uh, help themselves, right? Do you, do you know which book of the Bible that's in? I got news for you. It's not in the Bible. But if you went around this country today and you repeated that phrase, most people say, yeah, I, b- I believe that's in the Bible. Tell you what, folks, there are times you and I can't do anything. Only God can intervene. He doesn't help you when you get to the end of yourself and you can't do anything else, then God will step in. I'm so thankful that my God knows my needs even before I express them to him and he's already willing to meet my need. And so she adds to, that's just on the side. That was one she did on herself, right? But first of all, he makes her doubt the word. Verse 4, Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. That's not a doubt now, that's a denial of the word of God. Listen, anytime someone tells you what you read right there is not true, you know they're a false teacher. How many people in this country today say, well, you can't really believe that because that was two, three, four thousand years ago and times have changed, so that just doesn't apply anymore. I got news for you, folks. This is the eternal word of God. And the Bible says it is written in the heavens. What God said is still true. And what he says to us today as we read it is still true. And tomorrow it will still be true because it's the word of God. And if you are ever asked to deny the word of God, Satan is the source. 
not the Holy Spirit. But there's one more thing. Notice verse 5. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, did God say all of that to Adam when he first told him to not eat of the tree? You know what God said? Don't eat of that tree, because the day you do, you're going to die. That's all God said. What does the devil say? The devil says, God knows that if you eat, you'll be like him. And God is trying to withhold a blessing from you. You'll know the difference between good and evil. I don't know about you, but I wish I only knew about good today. I wish I knew nothing about sin. I wish I knew nothing about the flesh. I wish I knew nothing about the world. I wish I knew nothing about the devil. That I was still in the Garden of Eden where it was absolutely perfect and without any of those influences. But he says, God knows that if you take that food, he didn't tell you this, but you know what? He's holding a blessing back from you. And you know what he's doing there? He's not causing doubt. He's not denying. He is distorting the word of God. He's distorting the word of God. He says, you will be like who? God. And God doesn't want you to be like him. That's not what God said. And I want to ask you something. Do you think you're like God today? The consequences of the fall brought sin into our lives. And even though we were made in the image of God, that image of God has been distorted through the entrance of sin. And it's going to be restored again one day when we get our new bodies and we're going to be made absolutely perfect again. But folks, don't ever forget right now, you're not perfect. And if you question that at all, just speak to somebody in your family and they'll let you know pretty quick that you haven't measured up, right? We all fail. Ever since the Garden of Eden, Satan and his demonic forces have waged a relentless, non-stop campaign against the truth of God. And Satan continues to use the same original tactics. He uses doubt and denial and distortion. We are told this so that we will be prepared. So that if anyone questions the word, false teacher. If anyone denies the word, false teacher. If anyone distorts the word, false teacher. And folks, don't say, well, most of what he says is good, and I'll just kind of overlook the other. Friends, we need to stick with those who stick with the word. Amen. And that's so, so important for us all. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, listen to what the devil does to people. It says, whose mind, referring to the lost, whose mind the God, small g, that's the devil, the God of this age has blinded who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. You know what the devil is trying to do today to people? He wants to blind their eyes spiritually. He wants to put blinders on, just like you put blinders on a horse. He wants to put blinders on so that when people look out, they can't see the light. One thing about putting a... Well, I can't even think of the word now. It's left me that quick. Uh, a blindfold, right? Even when you put a blindfold on your face, guess what? You can't, well, 
if it's a good blindfold, you can't see anything in front of you, right? That's what the devil wants to do. He wants to put a blindfold on people so that when the light is preached, when the gospel is preached, when people hear the truth, they won't take it in. You know why? They can't see it because they're blinded. What are they blinded by? They're blinded by their sin. They're blinded by false doctrine in many cases. Many people are blinded by their religion so that they can't come to Christ. And we could go on and on, but he uses many things to blind people. He doesn't want the gospel to shine in their hearts. But isn't it good news, folks, that the Spirit of God is greater than the devil is? And the Spirit of God can pierce our darkness and we can come to a knowledge of the truth. Praise the Lord, that's true. As in the Garden of Eden, the source of error can always be traced to satanic roots. Always. I want you to look at this verse also. Genesis chapter 8. I'm sorry. John chapter 8. John's Gospel chapter 8 and verse 44. John 8, 44. Now, understanding the context here, Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders of Judaism. The most spiritual, quote-unquote, the most religious people within the nation. The Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees. And as he's speaking to them, he says to them in John chapter 8 and verse 44, You are of your father Abraham. Is that what he says? No. Because they often said, you say you're of, of, of Christ, well, we're of Abraham. That's all that's important. We're of Abraham. We're Jews. And he said, no, the real sons and daughters of Abraham are people who believe like Abraham did. Not just because of you're the Jewish race. Now, does he say, you are of your father, the Lord God? Is that what he says? I mean, they would say, we're certainly followers of Jehovah, the living God. These are the Pharisees, the most conservative Jews that lived at the time. They would say, we are children of Jehovah. But notice what Jesus says in verse 44. Ye are of your father the what? The devil and the desires of your father you want to do. Now, if you grew up in a certain home, many of us learned to enjoy certain things that our parents did and enjoyed, right? I grew up from the time I was a kid, my daddy loved to bowl. And so you know what? We kids went bowling. The only thing is we had those candle pin bowling, you know, the, the little ones with little balls about this big. That's all we had in our area. But we used to go bowling, used to love it. But you know one of the reasons why I grew to love bowling is because my dad loved bowling. My dad had a bunch of interests. And I learned a lot of those things. And to this day, still enjoy many of those things because I learned from who? I learned from my father. And he says here, your father is the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. You want to be like him. Now what is he like? He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. It's interesting that it starts this way. Say, you're a murderer. When you talk to people about being a sinner, you know what? One of the first things most people say, well, I never killed anybody. Isn't that interesting? But here he says, you're a what? A murderer. And I'll bet most, if not all, of these Pharisees had never killed anybody. But he says, you're a murderer just like your father is. Why? Jesus defined early in Matthew's gospel in the Sermon on the Mount what 
Murder really is. It isn't always just killing another person. It's hating somebody. And you know what? The Pharisees hated Jesus. The Pharisees hated tax collectors and harlots and sinners. The tax, I mean, the Pharisees hated the Gentiles, the pagans. They hated them. That was the word they used. They say, hate your enemy and love your, love your, 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 your brother. That was a part of their teaching. And Jesus had to correct this. He says, you know why you're a murderer? Because you hate people. So when people say, well, I never killed anybody, I, I've often said to them, have you ever hated, I mean, have you ever been so mad you just really hated somebody? Yeah, well, I said, do you know that Jesus says that that's murdering? That kind of surprises them because they don't know that's in the Bible, but it is. Go on. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the what? In the truth because there is no truth in him. In other words, everything the devil will promote is what? It's error. It's false. That is what he promotes. He says there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a what? A liar and the father of it. In other words, the father of lies or the father of liars. Now, here's another when someone says, well, I, you know, I never killed anybody. I say, have you ever told a fib? How many of us would not raise our hands? I mean, we've told lies, haven't we? And here he says, guess what? Guess what your father does? Your father, the devil, is a liar from the beginning. And guess what? You do what he does. You lie too. Most people will acknowledge that they've told a lie during their lifetime. He's saying, if you lie, you are like who? Like the devil. That is why Christians are told by Paul in the New Testament, do not lie to one another. Why? Because if you're following Jesus, you should not be a liar because liars are of the devil. Liars will have no part, the Bible says, in the kingdom of God. Why? If they live lying as a way of life, it demonstrates something. That they're of the devil, they're not of Christ. Now you and I may take a, tell a lie from time to time, but I sure hope, if you're a Christian today, it is not the normal, common experience every day that you must be lying to everybody. Right? So he says, you're like your father. He's a liar from the beginning. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. He says, you know why you, you, know why you reject me, folks? You reject me because I always speak the truth. The devil always speaks error. And you listen to your father rather than listening to me. Pretty strong, isn't it? And yet that's what Jesus says. That the source of all error is the devil himself. Now, if we as Christians fail to be discerning. Now what do I mean when I say discerning? That's the ability to listen carefully and to judge whether what is being said lines up with the truth of God and every one of us grows in discernment when we're babes in Christ our discernment is very low but as we grow in the word we read the word more we study the word more we're discipled and and we we get to that point of spiritual development we know more and more of the word of God the more discerning we are and that only makes sense that that would be the case it's kind of like the mother who teaches her daughter to cook. The first day, you stand her up on a chair. 
to the table to start putting the ingredients into the bowl, you don't just pass the little girl an egg and say, go ahead and crack that baby and let's see where we go. What's going to happen then? Usually, mama, what does she do? She'll take and say, this is how you do it. And you'll show them. And then maybe the next time you cook, they'll say, okay, now let me help you. And you do this. And then as time goes on, guess what? You don't have to say anymore how to crack the egg. Why? The child has grown in discernment. The ability to know what's the right thing to do. What is the truth? If someone gets to a point of cooking so effectively, they begin to do what? Teach others. Guess what? That's exactly what's supposed to happen in the body of Christ. We start as babies with others feeding us, teaching us, helping us grow. But at some point, we need to become adults who have the ability to teach the new babies that are coming into the church. And so he says, you need to be able to be discerning. But what if Christians are not discerning? Well, first of all, they will be confused and unable to know what to do themselves. That's why sometimes when we have a question about something, we don't really know what decision to make. We go to people that we respect, who are godly people, who've walked with the Lord for a long time, and we go and ask their opinion. What would your counsel be? If you do not have the ability to discern, you're going to always be asking, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And I don't know about you folks, but I hope over time I'm growing enough so that the things that I used to wonder about, now I know what I ought to do. And I'm learning how to confront things that come into my life now and in the future. You develop in your discernment. But if you're not growing in discernment, then you're going to continue to be confused. But secondly, think about this. If we are unable to discern, we will also be unable to accurately convey the truth to other people. When I was reviewing this again last night, I wrote here in my notes, I hand wrote in my notes, the world must hear the truth from the Christian church. The world must hear the truth from the Christian church. But if we're confused ourselves about what's right and what's wrong, if we're confused ourselves about what is true and what is not true, how in the world are we going to help the lost world that is blinded by Satan to come to a knowledge of the truth? So you need to be discerning and growing in discernment, not just for yourself, and not just for the benefit of helping other Christians in their growth. You need to become more discerning because you need to be able to stand and proclaim the truth of God with clarity. Because people must understand the gospel before they can believe it. And they can't understand it until we explain it effectively under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And that's why very soon here we're going to be finishing up our Thursday morning discipleship program that we've been doing for two and a half years. It was a one-year course that only took us two years and a half to finish, so that's, that's pretty good. Um, but we're finishing that up, and I'm going to go on and teach another study, and I want to mention it to you because maybe some of you that have not been coming on Thursday morning, maybe you'll be interested in this subject, and you might want to come and study with us. In about three weeks, we're going to get, begin a new study on how to share the gospel with a lost person. How to go through the plan of salvation in an effective manner. And I have some books that are on spirals that you use when you actually sit down with someone. The great thing about this methodology is you don't have to memorize a thousand details. 
it's all on this little book and you just flip the pages. The scriptures are all written out, the words and their definitions, it's all there. And you just go through, you explain this page, there's a picture that describes it. And then you just flip the page and you go on to the next point and you do this until you come to the end. And you get as far as you can get each time. And, but it's a method. It's just one way. It's not the only way. But I find a lot of Christians saying to me, I don't really know how to sit down with a lost person and really explain the gospel to them. Well, I'm going to be teaching on that on Thursday mornings from 10 o'clock to 11.15, starting in about three weeks. And I know some of you can't work and do those kinds of things, so you can't be there. But maybe the Lord would lead you to become a part of that study on Thursday mornings at the parsonage. Why? The world is waiting to hear the gospel. They need to hear the gospel from us. Now, let me be more specific. They need to hear the gospel from you. Every one of us has been called. Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Now, folks, I want to ask you something. How many creatures are there on earth today? And that creature means literally creation. It's talking about human beings. How many people on the planet today? Do you know how many there are? There are, I, the last figure I saw um, on, uh, was 7.3 billion people on planet Earth today. Now, do you think the East Wilton Union Church can take the gospel to every creature? Hmm? You think, I mean, do you think between us we can hit that 7.3 billion in the next month or two? And share with every one of them? The, no, of course not. That's why, who is the command given? To the 12 apostles? Well, if it was only given to them... The world's in trouble because they're not around anymore. And there are no apostles today. So what are we going to do? Well, I tell you, see, when he said go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, he wasn't just talking to the twelve. He was talking to the church. He was talking to you and me. Every one of us needs to influence somebody. Now listen, a believer in China, and by the way, there's a lot of them. But a believer in China is probably not going to come to East Wilton to evangelize. A believer in China should be evangelizing where? In China, unless God leads them to be a missionary outside the country. We are responsible for this area. We need to get the gospel to the people who live nearest to our church. Because other towns aren't going to come here. This is our town. And we have other little towns, some of you are from, I understand that. But folks, listen, we need to be responsible for our area. Now, we help missionaries, and we've been talking about that. We support missionaries to go around the world and preach the gospel. We want to have a part in reaching some of those people through our missionaries. But folks, our main responsibility is tell people in the sphere of our own influence. So it's my family, it's my neighbors, it's my neighborhood. And once we've filled the neighborhood with the gospel, you move on to the next neighborhood. Because it's always from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the what? To the uttermost parts of the earth. Folks, we have a responsibility. If we do not develop discernment so that we can explain the gospel clearly, people will not be saved. Because when we are not sure how to share the gospel for fear of either making a mistake or being asked a question we feel we can't answer, we keep our mouths closed. And my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, God wants your mouths open. 
but you need to prepare yourself studying the truth so that you know what to say. So I hope some of you, if you're available, will come on Thursday mornings and study with us. We'll start in about three weeks' time. Our time is gone, and I got through half of what I was supposed to today. So it looks like there's going to be three messages instead of two. You, you know what I'm like, right? I'm sorry, but, you know. I'm not as bad, though, as John MacArthur. He said that he taught the Gospel of Luke for 10 years on Sunday morning. 10 years. I haven't gotten that bad, right? All right, 1 John chapter 4, there's a warning. A warning against false teachers and a warning against false doctrine and an exhortation to be discerning to learn the truth and to share the truth with others. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here in your house today. Thank you for your people. I'm so grateful for each one that has come in today. Be with those, Lord, that were not able to be with us but wanted to be here. Encourage and comfort their hearts, Lord. I pray that as we go our separate ways, you'll give us journeying mercies to our homes. But Lord, in the coming week, whether we're reading the Bible ourselves, help us to pray for discernment from the Holy Spirit, our teacher. If we are listening maybe to some preacher or reading some Christian book, Lord, help us to be discerning so that we measure what the book says or what the teacher says by what the Bible says because the only ultimate final authority, the only source of absolute truth is the word of God. So help us, Lord, always to compare what we hear with what you say. Father, give us discernment. Bless us now, Lord, and dismiss us with your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. And this has been the Ewok Podcast with Pastor Robbie Locke. We hope it's been challenging and exuberating and uplifting in your life as it has mine. We hope it helps you walk closer with God and understand Him better and the truth He's laid out for us in His Word. If you've really enjoyed this sermon or it's had a great impact upon your life, leave us an email or go to our Facebook page or our website and just leave a comment that we might know exactly how it's impacted you. It's very uplifting for us to see those things for it helps us to push forward to continue doing these. Well, that's all I got for time. Until next week, God bless.